0: Bringing you the best story, best trends, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and Manageable, an SEC football podcast. Brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Welcome into Fourth and Manageable. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brad Edwards along with my co host Tyler Bray, former Tennessee quarterback, and we're about to take you through week one in the sec now there was a week zero of course the sec went one and oh in week zero with vanderbilt winning at hawaii but everybody in the sec is playing in week one and with one game left which is sunday night lsu taking on florida state everyone in the sec is still undefeated uh vanderbilt now two and oh and by the way that what we mentioned on thursday's podcast is true once again. If you pull up your SEC standings, you probably will see Vanderbilt sitting on top. So Vandy fans, uh, go ahead and get a screen grab because it's probably not going to last much longer. But uh, you couldn't ask for much more, Tyler, if you're the SEC. You, you, you've you won every game, and maybe they all weren't pretty, um, but the object of, of sports is to win, and uh, that's what these teams got done in their very first game of the season.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the SEC dominated today. It uh, Some of the games were to the point of turning them off at halftime and, you know, trying to find the, the next game to look at.
0: Yeah, and look, that's the way it usually is, week one. You know, most of, of the games, if you're a team uh, in the SEC, are are basically bought wins, right? They're, they're teams that are overmatched, that you're just uh, paying money to come in and you know, allow you to, to warm up, get the kinks out. And most of the time, they're not really a threat to beat you. Although every now and then we, we've seen exceptions to this. But uh, in this particular season, it didn't happen to anyone uh, in the SEC. Nobody got caught off guard uh, in week one. Uh, and then there, was, uh, there were a few games, actually, that, that looked like they would be worth watching on paper as we came in. And probably the, the biggest one on paper uh, turned out not to be much of a game at all, and maybe not all that surprising to some out there. It, it wasn't exactly expected to be down to the wire based on the point spread. But uh, Georgia ranked number three, taking on number 11, Oregon. It, it felt like a big game, but you know what? It looked like both teams are pretty similar to what they were last year. Georgia still very clearly, if not the best team in the country, among the top two or three for sure. And Oregon, uh, I'll say this, if they are the best team in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 has a long way to go. And uh, that's that's basically what we got in that game. What were your initial impressions, Tyler, of Georgia? I'll I tell you what, let's stay away from Stetson Bennett because I want to get into him next. But just for a defending national champion, we talked two days ago about complacency and this idea of you know, being as motivated as you were last year when you were chasing that first national championship. How impressed were you with how focused they were and ready to play?
1: Oh, they came out and uh, lit the scoreboard up quick. I uh, just said, I'll stay away from Stetson, but uh, I mean, they have running back that is dangerous, not only carrying the ball, but, you know, receiving as well. I think he had a hundred and something yards receiving. Uh, they have another big back, uh, Milton, uh, Fresno guy. So a little shout out there. Uh, he looks like he's going to be the the workhorse in the backfield. And, uh, you know, they're going to spread the ball. They got two tight ends so they can stay big, get in 12 personnel. And uh, it's a matchup nightmare for other defenses in the SEC.
0: Yeah, Kendall Milton, probably the best high school player to come out of the Fresno area in, what, at least 20 years, right? Say.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure, yes.
0: <laughs> for those who don't most, know, that's where that's most where highly, Tyler's from.
1: <laughs> most highly recruited, for sure.
0: Yeah, so – uh, anyway, you mentioned the, the other back, Kenny McIntosh. Uh, McIntosh, yeah, had over 100 yards receiving. Um, and, and that was, to me, one of the interesting things about this game, at least the first half, is, is that Georgia came out throwing. Uh, you, you would have thought that uh, a team with a personality like Georgia has would come out running. Uh, but they didn't, and it showed the confidence they have in their quarterback, Stetson Bennett, who really spent most of last season just trying to convince people that he was their best option behind center. Uh, I think he silenced most of the doubters in the playoff. Uh, coming into this season w- was was clearly the guy, but, but man, they put the game in his hands, came out slinging, and uh, was 25 of 31, uh, over 360 yards passing. And uh, he was just in control from the start.
1: Yeah, he was very efficient today. Uh, like I said on the last episode, if he stays within the system and uh, doesn't try to force anything and just lets a game come to him, he's going to have big numbers. And that's what he did today. I mean, he didn't force, I think he maybe forced one pass. Other than that, he uh, took the checkdowns when he needed to. Those turned into chunk plays. He took shallows. He took the back out of the backfield. He just, I mean, he didn't throw
0: the ball deep at all. And they were turning into, you know, 30, 40 yard plays. Yeah. So explain to us from the quarterback perspective, you know, a lot of people you know, who are skeptical might look at that and say, well, he, he didn't really complete any balls further down the field. You know, a lot of it was run after the catch. They were high percentage throws for the most part. And, you know, if if, if you want to try to pick him apart, you could say that. And that's true. Most of them were high percentage throws, and a lot of them were to the guys who were who were really open. But how much of that is the quarterback? I mean, certainly some of it is play design, but he's having to make a lot of reads, right? In order to find the guys who are open, as opposed to throwing to a guy who's covered.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this is the game plan they had. Monken, you know, they had all year to prepare for this game or all offseason to prepare for this game. And he took advantage of it. He he knew what they were going to do. He exploited it. And he knew if, you know, get the ball into the playmakers' hands and let them do what normal Georgia playmakers do, they're going to have a good day.
0: Yeah, and so, so Georgia scored touchdowns, for those who didn't watch the game um, all the way through. Georgia scored touchdowns on its first seven possessions, which, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. That is, uh, it's basically perfection with the first-team offense on the field. There's absolutely... Nothing that you could, you know, that you could really criticize um, if you're the coaching staff of Georgia. And then on the other side of the ball, the defense, and they obviously uh, were historically good last year. Um, and they, they carried that team uh, throughout most of the season, even though the offense was, I think, was very underrated and was much better than people realized. The defense was the strength of last year's team, and they lost a lot of that to the NFL And yet, against what I think is going to be a pretty good Oregon offense, they don't allow a touchdown. What what does that do for you, if you're Georgia, to be able to come out of this game knowing that, hey, not only is my offense probably better than it was last year, but my defense might not have fallen off very much at all?
1: Yeah, it seemed to pick up right where they left off. I mean... You know they have Carter on the D line, they have Smith on the D line, and then they have the freshman Malachi Starks, who <laughs> the guy's gonna be legit. You saw in his interception today; he he uh, he's a ball hawk out there. He plays the ball well. He plays into the defender like you're supposed to. I mean, he just he does what a you know big time DB should do.
0: And there were a couple of times it looked like Oregon's game plan was to try to pick on the freshman, you know, playing his first college game, and and he was up to the task. And it wasn't just that pick. There were a couple of other plays that that he was right there. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at this Georgia team, whether it's offense or defense, I I don't know what you would pick out as a weakness. That doesn't mean they don't have one. I'm not saying they don't have anything that a team like an Alabama wouldn't be able to exploit much later in the season. Uh, but for game one, um, they certainly look like a team that that really didn't have any holes that that you could really point to. And uh, I would I would say, Good luck to the uh, the competition in the next two months or so because I really don't know how you're gonna go about game planning to try to beat these guys.
1: Yeah, I think uh, as of now, I think the one thing you can do is try to make them run the ball. I know it sounds dumb, but I think you uh, Stetson played so well throwing the ball and with such efficiency that I think you try to you know play in a cover two, try to force him to run, take it out of his hands, don't let him get it to the other playmakers. And just let you know, like in Alabama, they to have to let their D line and linebackers make a lot of tackles. Yeah, so
0: so you have your defending national champ looking like uh, they they are still national championship caliber, and after that performance, you take a look at their schedule, and what's interesting about it is there aren't many games on there that you would consider to be a challenge. Like they, you know, if, if you look at the preseason rankings, the only other team outside of Oregon that's preseason ranked is number 20, Kentucky. Now I believe that both Tennessee and Florida will be ranked in this next poll. So there will be more ranked opponents to come, but, but it really is difficult looking at the way that Georgia played uh, to pinpoint a game on that schedule and say, yeah, this is this is going to be a really tricky spot. And that's not to say they can't slip up and lose. They can't go out and play poorly. But you would think at this point, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take Georgia uh, playing a poor game on top of the opponent, really making a lot of plays in order for that to happen. And, and one of those teams that we just mentioned is Florida. And the reason I say there's a good chance that Florida could be ranked uh, this coming week is because Florida had a huge win at the Swamp, uh, knocking off Utah in what was one of the more exciting games of the day, uh, as it turned out. In fact, I was, I was thinking uh, for, for a long while we were going to start this podcast by saying that, uh, at least for this week, it might have been more exciting to be doing an ACC podcast, given the way the games started with, with the teams in North Carolina. Uh, but we finally got a, a barn burner in the SEC, which was the Utah-Florida game. And, um, you know, I guess if you're thinking about where to start with that one, it really starts with Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback. We had seen flashes from him last year. We knew what type of athlete he was. We knew what type of ability he had as as far as uh, some of the passes that you saw him make. But you never really saw him put it together against a, a really solid opponent to the point where you were convinced that it was more than just potential. Um, but but I, I think we clearly saw that tonight. This kid has a huge upside.
1: Yes. I mean, not only does he have a rocket for an arm, but the guy can run like a running back. I mean, he he's one of the fastest and most athletic people on the field. And putting that with a an arm and a pocket presence, and it seems like he has the playbook down. I mean, they're doing a lot of shifting and motioning before – the ball snapped. And that takes a lot of, you know, mental prep in order to be able to do that. It's not, it's not easy going out there and you know, the clock's winding down. You got to get the playoff and you're having a shift in motion, move guys around, make sure they're set legal formation. I mean, there's a lot that goes into a pre-snap when you run an offense like that. And he seemed
0: cool, cool, calm and collected the whole time. If you look at it from the quarterback's perspective, um, Sure. You could say that there's maybe a little bit of an advantage for Florida going in and that Utah has not seen this particular quarterback with this particular play caller to know exactly what they're going to do. But on the other side is what you just alluded to, which is there's a big learning curve when, when there's a new offense coming in, what, what, what are the, the biggest challenges as a quarterback to starting a season in, in an offense that you You've just learned. And, and, you know, this isn't like the NFL where where you've got, you know, so much time to really build this thing with with, you know, college football. You're really limited in the number of hours that you're able to spend on the practice field. And and it's a lot more of a challenge at this level.
1: Yes, it's uh, the verbiage is one. Uh, A lot of a lot of teams run, you know, the same type of concepts, but they call it something different. So the verbiage with plays, routes, protections, uh, every O-line coach kind of coaches protections in their own unique way. So that takes time as well. But uh, once you get the playbook down, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's smooth sailings because the game slows down for them. I know as a quarterback in the past, uh, when you don't know the offense or you're learning the offense, you know, it's moving fast because you're so worried about just trying to get lined up and get the ball snap before the play clock runs out. And then all of a sudden the ball snapped and it's like, oh shoot. Okay. We're, what defense are they in? What's what's going on? So it's it's tough, but he he looked he looked calm tonight. He didn't he never looked rattled. Even when they were getting to him a
0: little bit and he was having to make plays with his legs, he seemed he seemed good. For those who might have been watching uh another game, because there were there were a lot of SEC games that were going on at the same time as the Florida game, um it it had a really bad start for the Gators, which they got the ball first and they made several good plays offensively were putting together a drive. Then all of a sudden they had a fumble that ended up getting returned a long way by Utah. And after, you know, a a very promising start for the Gators that looked like it was going to result in them taking an early lead. Next thing, you know, Utah with a short field scores a touchdown, they're up seven, nothing, Florida's already in a hole, uh, but they then respond and they were able to take the lead in the halftime. Um, when Florida scored its touchdown to tie the game at seven, they they had a play where they were fourth and two. Now this is late first quarter, down seven nothing, fourth and two on the Utah 16. You know Billy Napier, his first game as the Florida head coach. You could easily in that situation justify kicking a field goal. You know, just get on the board. You know, you've already had one time you moved the ball and you turned it over. You just want to come away with some points. A lot of people would have understood that. But he was really aggressive. He believed in his offense. He went for it on fourth and two, picked up the first down. The next play, they scored the touchdown uh, to tie it at seven. What, is, what does that do for a team when a coach shows confidence in them in a situation like that and they go for This wasn't fourth and inches. You know, this was this was fourth and, and, a, and a full two. Um, and it it not only uh was a, a risk that you know that he took because of his confidence in them, but it paid off and ended up uh being a big step toward them, you know, going ahead and, and winning that game in the end.
1: Yeah, and uh, as a player, I know guys get excited when a coach goes for it on fourth down, the confidence it shows. Uh and when you have a quarterback like that, I mean it's very easy to get him, you know, roll them out of the pocket other other times, you know, get him. Get his where he can throw and run the ball at the same time. Because when the ball's in his hands, he makes things happen. And so anytime a coach goes around fourth down and you pick it up, it's that extra boots boost of
0: confidence that might, you know, lead to another call fourth down later in the game. And, and it ended up being uh, a back and forth fourth quarter after uh, Utah really asserted itself in the third quarter after uh, having fallen behind at the half. Uh, and took the lead, and then uh, Florida retook it. Utah ended up coming back down and uh, taking the lead again late. And then uh, Anthony Richardson and the Gators uh, on a drive that included another fourth down conversion. This time, there wasn't really much of a choice. They had to go for it there. But another fourth down conversion uh, ended up. Richardson carried it into the end zone for uh, for what was The go-ahead score, uh, and and so you got to feel like the Florida offense has a lot of confidence moving forward after putting together two big fourth-quarter drives in a situation like that. But after being on the wrong end of most of the second half, the Florida defense, when it it really mattered, backs against the wall, goal-to-go situation, uh, trying to protect a three-point lead, comes up with the interception in the end zone uh, to seal it and uh, ended up being – You know probably not the result that we were all expecting at the moment that utah got down there first and goal you figure worst case they're going to kick a field goal and tie this thing Uh, but florida makes a big play and comes away with a big win another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Yeah, it seemed like uh, the second half, it was which QB was going to, you know, make a mistake because they both were balling out. I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, one would make a spectacular play. And you're like, oh, here it goes. Florida's about to, you know, take over. Utah's about to take over. And then QB comes right back and answers. So, I mean, it was, it was one of those deals with who was going to make the mistake first. And it just so happened to be Utah.
0: It was a great game. And it was one of those where um, I would not have expected Utah. I think to me, it is a credit to Utah to have been able to come back the way that they did a couple of times in the second half. When you consider what the weather is like in Utah compared and like what they've been practicing in compared to what it's like at the swamp. And I mean, aptly named the swamp. I mean, it's not just Southern heat, but it's also uh, that extreme humidity early September. And and for Utah to overcome that, I think is a credit to them. They just uh, didn't make that very last play when they, when they had a chance and, Uh, For a a Florida team that needed a confidence boost after a a poor season last year, great way to start the season. And so um, whether they're a threat to Georgia remains to be seen, uh, but obviously a a great start to the season in the SEC East.
1: Yeah, uh, I saw something where uh, Utah was practicing their indoor with the heat on. And uh, (laughs) I was like, you can do that all you want, but once you get down there, that's a different kind of heat. Air is thick down there. I remember we played a, uh, noon kickoff there one year and it was, I think i lost five pounds just warming up. I mean, <laughs> even if, even if you're not playing in the game, you're cramping up on the sidelines. So, I mean, they, they came out and handled themselves. Well, as far as that, I don't think weather played too much of an advantage to Florida by just, you know, the way the game went.
0: Yeah. Big win for uh big win for the Gators. And, um, We'll see what this season holds. They, they started last season pretty well, and then it kind of came unraveled. And that's the thing about week one. You never know. Sometimes week one results are, are misleading. Um, but uh, but at least in this case, um, they they had the type of win that they really needed to, to get 2022 started. All right, let's shift gears to the SEC West. And uh, what appeared to be the big game on the slate in that division was Arkansas hosting Cincinnati. Now, a lot of times you're going to say, ah, Group of five team, but you know, Cincinnati undefeated last season, uh, at least in the regular season, made it to the college football playoff. Uh, obviously, carried a lot of that momentum into this season as far as the the ranking that they were given preseason. So, you know, on on paper, this is a big game. Even though Cincinnati lost a lot of those guys off that team, and um, Arkansas, I would say, didn't look great for a lot of the game. But Cincinnati would tell you the same thing. They they made a lot of mistakes as well. It, it certainly wasn't uh, as well played of a game as, as what we might have said about the Florida-Utah game, uh, but the same result for the SEC, which is the SEC came out on top. And uh, K.J. Jefferson, uh, the Arkansas quarterback who had a, a good season last year, I thought he looked really good again today and uh, ended up making a few big plays in the second half that were the difference in that game.
1: Yeah, uh, wasn't the typical ranked match you get. But uh, <laughs> kind of started off slow. It was like, uh, who's gonna get on the board first? And then you know, they finally started uh, moving the ball, putting full drives together, not just you know, pop play here and a pop play there, putting drives together, getting downfield. And uh, KJ took over and started you know, not only throwing the ball well, but uh, making plays with his feet,
0: yeah. And I think that, um, we had some questions coming into this season about uh, Arkansas's receivers and who was going to catch the passes this year. You know, that um, after, uh, after last year there was a, there was a void that was left. And, and so um, today I think maybe we got a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of an answer there from both uh, Hazelwood and Knox, a couple of guys who, who stepped up big for Arkansas today and uh, the, the running game got going. It, it took a little bit of time. I was a little surprised when given um, that Cincinnati had you know, lost a few key players on that defense and that Alabama, which for a lot of last year, didn't run the ball very well. They ran it down Cincinnati's throat in that semifinal game last year for over 300 yards. So I, I thought uh, with, with some good experience back on the offensive line, um, and, and some talent at running back along with the, a quarterback who can run that Arkansas would really just kind of pound on Cincinnati. Um, and, and you look at the final stats and it looks like they ran the ball well, but there were pockets of that first half where it just wasn't as consistent as I expected it to be. And I, I guess that's why you had the halftime score that you did. And it you know it wasn't um, it wasn't pretty a lot of the time, but Arkansas really did manage to uh, just stay in command for most of that game um, until they kind of got in trouble uh, in in the fourth quarter and had to make some plays. And really the, the biggest play in that game, we talked about the, the mistakes that were made. Arkansas had its own mistakes, um, and, and we'll get to those in just a little bit because some of those were defensive, and I think it's something that we need to discuss as far as Arkansas moving forward. Um, Cincinnati uh, had mistakes of its own with uh, penalties like they they just had a lot of just shoot yourself in the foot false start delay of game those types of things that were that were killing drives but uh, ultimately uh, Cincinnati had gotten the ball back uh, in a position uh, to drive down I think they were down uh, 24-17 in the fourth quarter and uh, Jordan Dominic came through right around midfield made a, a nice strip sack and a fumble recovery. And then, uh, Arkansas right after that ended up converting it going up 14. And, and while the final score ended up, you know, being a, a seven point win for the Razorbacks, um, it was, it was that play that allowed them to, to go up 14. That really was, was kind of the, the final nail in the coffin as far as this one went.
1: Yeah. Um, it seemed like DBs for Arkansas today, uh, just didn't have the speed to keep up with Cincinnati's outside receivers. It seemed like every time Cincinnati had a big throw, it was outside to one of the receivers. And he was he was open. I mean, it wasn't guy on his hip or anything. I mean, he was wide open and quarterback just overthrew him a couple times. I know there's some throws the Cincinnati QB wants back. And, you know, if he had him and he turned out a little different, that game's a totally different outcome. I mean, Cincinnati could have blown the door wide open. They had they had the plays called to do it. They just didn't execute them as well as they wanted to.
0: Yeah. And that, that's why that play from Dominic, the, the, the sack and the fumble was so big is because, you know, when Cincinnati had time to throw, they had receivers running open. And like you said, sometimes they miss them Uh, more often than not in the second half, they were hitting them, but this was one of the times the pass rush got to him quickly and they turned it into a huge play, which ended up making the difference in the game. But, but let's, let's talk about the Arkansas secondary because, uh, Jalen Catalan, their their all SEC slash all American you know preseason safety, uh, went out this game early with an injury, and there's no doubt that that affects you know the entire secondary when you have a leader like that in the back who's missing. Um, but as you alluded to, it was out wide; it was the corners who were getting burned a lot of the times, and this is an issue. You know, look, they 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 lost a lot in the secondary from last year. Arkansas did, and and they expected. To struggle but probably didn't expect it to look as bad as it did against Cincinnati and you look at this schedule for Arkansas I, I actually picked them as my sleeper team in the SEC because you know I, I looked at not only the Cincinnati game but they they play at BYU in the middle of the season which I think is a winnable game and you look at the rest of the schedule and except for a visit from Alabama every other game on there looks winnable that's not to say that they will win them all but but it feels like the type of schedule where they could do something like what Ole Miss did last year, you know, maybe go 10 and two and find themselves in a New Year's six bowl game. They have the team that's good enough to do it. They have the schedule that really sets up for it. But if they don't get better in the secondary, they're going to lose more than two games because um, there are some serious issues out there. And they're going to face better quarterbacks than Cincinnati who had a guy who was making, you know, his, his first start after having been a career backup.
1: Yeah. It's tough for a defense. Anytime you lose uh, one of your key guys and especially a guy in the back end as a safety, he's the guy that gets everybody lined up. He uh, communicates to the, all the DBs, make sure they know what plays go what play they're running. And you know, when you have uh, a guy come in, that's a new safety. He might not communicate as well. He might not get guys lined up. And then you have guys out there looking at each other, ball, snap, next thing you know, guys, by There's a lot of things that go into losing a safety. And it's the same as, you know, losing a middle linebacker. He's the guy communicating all the D-line plays, all the stunts, all the twists they want to do. He's the guy, you know, getting everybody lined up up front. So if you lose those two key positions, it's tough for a defense to communicate and know what's going on out there.
0: There were a couple other ranked teams in the SEC West that you could say – you know, weren't sharp in the same way that Arkansas wasn't, but they were playing lesser opponents. So it didn't really come back to bite them. It didn't turn into a competitive game because of it. But, you know, uh, one of those was Texas A&M uh, and, and A&M found itself in a 10 nothing game uh, against Sam Houston late in the first half. They ended up hitting a big pass play for a touchdown. It ended up being a very comfortable 31 nothing win after a, very long weather delay at halftime um but there were large stretches of that first half where you're looking at that a m offense and it's like this doesn't look like the offense of a preseason number six team because uh, you know they they had big issues running the ball and then uh, even though he hit some big plays through the air uh the quarterback was was hit and miss and i, I realize uh, he doesn't have a lot of experience either having you know gone out early in game 2 last year but um yeah w- what uh, what do you take away from AM? is it is it any reason to be concerned or is this just you know hey it's week 1 get the kinks out that type of thing
1: uh i think it's just week 1 get the kinks out uh quarterback kind of struggled today he uh was late on some throws over the middle uh got one picked off the other one uh was dropped probably should have been picked off and uh he came back later in the game he found the guy up the seam uh, defense was running like a quarters look and the like nickel defender kind of messed up safety was out of position as well. And he hit a guy up the seam for a touchdown. So, I mean, he took advantage of uh defensive mistakes, but for the most part, he, it was a, uh, you know, he's shaking off the rust a little
0: bit. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss is another team um, that was ranked coming in, in the sec West that um, has a new quarterback Jackson dart transfer from USC um you know okay it, it wasn't what we saw from last year's offense with Matt Corral um but it was it was a comfortable win in the end uh for Ole Miss um but there was another quarterback in the SEC who wasn't exactly rusty um guy by the name of Bryce Young um Alabama was was okay, settled for a field goal in the opening drive, but um, it ended up being a pretty good first half of the Tide. They were up uh, 41-0, and I think they scored on the opening drive of the second half with Young in there. And uh, he ended up with uh, five touchdown passes in the first half, uh, left the game, like I said, after one series in the second half uh, with uh, 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown to go with those five touchdown passes. So, uh, the the Alabama offense uh, looked how you would expect them to look against Utah State. Now, I mean, nothing to get overexcited about, but to me, I think the big thing is for Alabama that they would take away from this game is that they had, for most of last season, three receivers who played the majority of the snaps, and all three of those guys are gone. So there there were some real questions about who is going to step up at receiver and who is Bryce Young going to throw to this year. And and in that first half, he threw two touchdown passes to Jermaine Burton, the transfer from Georgia. He threw uh, two to Treshawn Holden, um, who uh, who was on the team last year, but didn't catch a lot of passes. And uh, and then a freshman named Kobe Prentice, uh had a bunch of catches in the first half, even though he didn't have any touchdowns. So it it looks like that that he's found some targets that he feels comfortable with, and and I think that's that's a good sign for the Alabama offense. And I, I guess Tyler, that's that's really what you want to take out of a game like this is you're just you're just getting reps and and you're building chemistry, right?
1: Yeah, it helps when uh <laughs> you have all day to throw back there too. Uh, he. <laughs> He looks comfortable back there. I don't even know if he ever got hit. I mean, he sits back there all day, and it's just waiting for receivers to get open. And it seems like every year we're talking about how Alabama's losing, you know, top receivers, this guy, that guy. And then they're like, how are they going to, you know, overcome that this season? And then three more guys come in, and it's just like, oh, here's three more potential first-round draft picks again. So Alabama's loaded every year. Uh, It's just the more reps they get, the better that offense is going to get. So, I mean, they have more room
0: to grow. Yeah. And they have Texas next week and we'll learn a lot more now. How good is Texas? It's, it's really hard to say at this point, but I feel like they're probably better than Utah state and uh, they're probably better than some of the teams on the sec schedule. So I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about Alabama in week two, as, as we'll learn a lot more about a whole lot of teams in week two. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, just like in the SEC East, it was a perfect day in the SEC West. And as I said off the top of the show, all that's really left to be determined is whether LSU seals the deal on Sunday night against Florida State. And if they do, it will be a perfect week one in the SEC. So the big news in college football coming into the weekend uh, was the announcement that there will be expansion to the college football playoff. That it's going to go from four teams to twelve teams. We're still not completely sure how many more seasons until that happens, but it, it appears that there will be six automatic bids given to the uh, the highest ranked conference champions, and then six at large bids. And uh, you know the format will be where uh, the four highest ranked conference champions will get a, a buy. And the teams that are are seated five through 12 will play each other, uh, in that first round. And, uh, it'll, you know, make for something different than what we've seen in recent years. And maybe, uh, there will be more competitive games played. We can only hope so. Um, but Tyler, I don't think in the end, it's really going to change a whole lot as far as who ends up winning it. In fact, and, and I kind of shudder to think at this, uh, you think of this, but, um, What we saw today between Oregon and Georgia, there's a real possibility that that matchup could occur again in a quarterfinal of a 12-team playoff. I mean, fortunately, it's not going to happen this year, so we don't have to worry about seeing those two teams again in this 2022 season. But a lot of the time, that is what you're going to get in that round. And as long as the top two or three teams are as much better than everybody else as they have been in recent years, and they appear to be this year. Uh, there's there's not a lot, in my opinion, to get excited about uh, for adding games to the college football playoff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you're just extending the season a little bit. Uh, for those top teams, I know they're probably not happy when, when it comes to that point in time. They're not going to be happy because it's extra games they got to play. And so, you know, you're having to play teams that probably shouldn't have been in there to begin with and are thrown in there and they might, you know, upset one of those teams that played well all season and then all of a sudden have one bad game and they're out. And so I think for the teams that are, you know, the higher ranked teams in it, they're
0: not going to like it and the lower ranked teams are going to love it because it gives, you know, the underdog a shot. To me, you know, who's going to love it are the teams with the most talent like, you know, Alabama and Georgia and, and let's throw in Ohio state. And you might say, well, They probably shouldn't love it because if there's one extra game, there's one more opportunity for a key player to get injured and not be out there for a semifinal or a championship. And and that's true. The other side of it is, though, is that their margin for error is increased to the point where it's almost inconceivable before the season ever starts that they wouldn't be in the playoff. I mean, right now, it's hard for me to conceive of Ohio State not being in the playoff. It's hard for me to conceive of either Alabama or Georgia uh, not being in the playoff. And there's a decent chance, if not a good chance that both of them could end up being there. But if you create a scenario where they could lose two games, not win their division, but still be one of those six at large teams, like I said, I mean, they're in, I mean, you, you, they're probably three or four teams that you could go ahead and, and take your marker, and just write them into the playoff before the season ever begins, because, shy of of injuries and and getting down to their third string quarterback, it's it's just almost impossible that they wouldn't be there. Yeah, you know, I think it gives
1: these uh, it gives these top schools, you know, more cushion as you said to you know if they might miss you know miss a week and have a bad week and they don't play to their expectations. Uh, injuries may happen. Guy gets suspended. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, variables that go into each week and uh, teams like Alabama, Ohio state and Georgia. I mean, it seems like you're cementing them into the playoffs and at least having a shot every year.
0: Yeah. And, and so um, let, let's look at it in terms of this year's playoff now where, you know, it matters a lot more if you lose a game. And because of that, let's, let's start with the pack 12 because, Arguably, the two best teams in the Pac-12 just lost today to two teams in the SEC. We've already talked about those games. Oregon and Utah, you would think that for either to have a chance to make the playoff, they're going to have to run the table. They're going to have to go undefeated through conference play, which includes winning the conference championship game. Not likely to happen, uh, I wouldn't think. You know, USC is still out there. Maybe USC could lose one game in conference play and you know be able to get in there, but it's um, it's it's really tough to see the Pac-12, especially with their recent track record of having not made it in you know last five years, uh, of, of getting in there and being a part of this playoff. You look at Cincinnati losing another loss to an SEC team today. Is there a group? I know you're a big fan of Fresno, but but is is there a group of five team this year? Uh, you know, it's always in a four-team playoff going to take a lot. At the bare minimum, it's going to take an undefeated season for a group of five team to get in. So um, you would think that the odds of that happening for a second year in a row aren't good. And then there's Notre Dame, which I don't think can lose more than one game and get in because they won't be a conference champion at the end, not being in a conference. And they already have that one loss. And uh, whether that's enough to have already knocked them out, I, I don't know. They still have a game against Clemson. Um, but you figure the best case scenario is they have no more margin for error, and so I mean we're we're one week into this thing, and it's already looking like you know the the options for teams to be in this fourteen playoff. And I guess in a way, it tells you why there's so much excitement about there being twelve teams. Um, but but at the same time, um, there there's a whole lot less excitement over uh, over a possible upset of a of a team you know, like in Alabama, for example, because when the door is left open by this uh, lack of dominance in the other conferences, then, then you know, an Alabama or a Georgia could probably survive a loss somewhere in the regular season.
1: Yeah, I mean, Georgia and Alabama don't play each other. So that's probably their only competition. And so there's two teams in the playoffs right there. Ohio State played their probably biggest competition in Notre Dame. So you can say they're there it's – now who's number four? So you got a lot of teams out there, and it's like, who's going to take that number four spot? Oregon yeah. lost today and got blown out, so you can probably look at that and say they're probably not going to make it. Utah, they would have to you know do a lot in order in order to make it. And it's, I mean, there's still good teams in the SEC. If they, I mean, Florida, I mean, nah, probably not going to happen. They got a tough road. And so it's going to it's gonna take, you know, an undefeated season, like you said. And I'll throw out Fresno State. Fresno State has a good chance to be undefeated. I don't know if they'll uh, draw that uh, publicity that
0: could get them there. But, hey, you never know. You never know. Um, and, and Michigan, by the way, uh, plays at Ohio State this year. Michigan looked good today. Uh, but there's still some questions about them. But playing at Columbus, you wouldn't think they're going to win that game. And if they don't win that game, they're not going to win the division and therefore, you know, not very likely to make the playoff. So um, there, are, there are some, some real questions. And, and by the way, this all increases the chance that you could have another season with two SEC teams in the playoff, such as Alabama and Georgia. And that it brings me to a question uh, that was asked from, from one of our listeners, uh, Chris, who, who said, how top-heavy is the SEC with Bama and Georgia? Is there a true third contender? I don't see it. Do you see it, Tyler?
1: I'm looking at the Florida Georgia game in Jacksonville. That's uh, I think Florida is the only one that has a shot to be, you know, to take down an Alabama or Georgia style team. I mean, you could throw Tennessee maybe in there, but in the past, Tennessee's being Georgia once, maybe in the past. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you years? the question <laughs> this way. OK, I mean, so so we talked earlier about Anthony Richardson and, and he, he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And, you know, if you've got a great quarterback and he has a great day, you've got a chance against anybody. OK, so so we'll say Florida has a chance. Tennessee gets Georgia in Knoxville. So, look, we'll learn more about Tennessee um, next weekend when they play Pitt. Um, and, and and you know, we'll see if that offense can continue to be explosive. And if they are, maybe they in front of their home crowd have a chance. But there's a difference between just winning one game, you know, pulling an upset and actually being able to win the division. I, that To me, that's what this question kind of comes down to, is that if a Florida or a Tennessee were able to beat Georgia, could that team get through the rest of the conference schedule without losing twice? Cause that's probably going to be Georgia's only conference loss. So if you're going to keep them out of the conference championship game and, and thereby keep them out of the playoff, you're going to have to not slip up and lose two league games on your own. And that's where I have questions about a, a Florida or a, or a Tennessee. Could they go seven and one in conference play and shut Georgia out by winning the sec east that that's that seems to be a taller order to me
1: yeah those are those are the only two teams that really have a shot because you look at the west and it's it's alabama i mean let's be real about it they're they're the team in the west and it's been like that for years and it's probably not going to change for many more so uh i mean tennessee's got a tough schedule looking at it they got pitt florida lsu bama kentucky georgia i mean that's a murderer's row right there, and I mean, face it every year. So you know, as a UT guy, you're used to it. But uh, I think uh, next week will be a good sign for Tennessee. They uh, get to play somebody that's uh, you know of their own talent, and so we'll see if they can beat Pitt. I think they got a better shot, but they still got to go through <laughs> the
0: murderer's row. Well, as you mentioned, you know they have to play Alabama, and and so that all that automatically puts you in that tough situation where even if you beat Georgia, if you lose to Alabama, I mean, so, so, I mean, let's say you split between those two teams, which would be a heck of an accomplishment to win one of those two games. If you, if you, if you lose to Georgia and beat Alabama, well, you're not going to win the East because you've lost head to head to Georgia. If you beat Georgia and then you lose to Alabama, well, you, you better beat every other team in the SEC because then you're, you're still not going to be able to have that head to head tiebreaker if you have that second conference loss and and so that's that's what makes it so tough for Tennessee to be that team. Now we look at the west, you know, okay, Alabama also has to go to Knoxville. So you you would you would say okay, maybe Tennessee has a shot. Who else could knock off Alabama? I mean, A&M has to go to Tuscaloosa. Um if A&M's offense, especially their 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 running game doesn't improve from what we saw today. I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving them much of a chance, especially with Alabama being revenge minded after having lost to A&M last year. I I, I didn't see anything out of Arkansas, Ole Miss, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of who, who Alabama has to play on the road, you know, where I would say, yeah, I, I like, I like their chances. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm with you. I'm with Chris who asked this question. I really don't see a third contender. I see as, as there is every year, the possibility that Alabama or Georgia could lose one conference game, but that it could come back and, and bite them and keep them from winning the division and getting into the sec championship game in this season. That's really hard for me to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, after today's game, we haven't seen LSU. So, I mean, who knows what they might be. They might come out and be, you know, LSU of the past, if they do that, I think that's the only team that really has a shot. Yeah, and that's,
0: sorry, Tyler. That's the other thing about like when you look at the Georgia schedule. Okay, if you start asking, okay, who actually has the athletes to match up with them to be able to hang? If they played well and they they didn't make mistakes, you know, two of those teams would be A and M and LSU that have the athletes um, and 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 have the players at the line of scrimmage to be able to 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 possibly give them a run those teams aren't on Georgia's schedule either. So you, they, Georgia plays uh, Auburn and Mississippi State out of the West. So when you look at it from that perspective, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to have to be a choke job um, by Georgia. And I would say probably similar for Alabama for them not to win. And um, after everything else we just talked about, I would say that uh, now, look, I mean, having, having covered college football nationally, um, for 25 years, I've had many conversations after week one where everyone's projecting, you know, team A is going to win out. Team B is going to win out. I mean, very rarely do teams actually go undefeated. We know it's not going to happen, but it's still hard to sit here watching Alabama and Georgia in week one and not say there's a possibility that they could both go undefeated into the SEC championship game. And if they do, they're both getting into the playoff. I mean, it's not just that they've gotten help from the Pac-12 and Notre Dame and the Group of Five and all that, but it's after what you watched last year. If if they have one loss between them at the time that the, the committee makes its decision and that loss is one of them losing to the other one, how could you not say they're two of the four best teams?
1: Uh, you can't. And looking at Georgia's schedule, the only – real competition they have is back-to-back weeks with Florida and Tennessee. They are coming off a bye, So, you know, probably won't be as banged up as they normally would be if they were having to play, you know, a game in front of that. So that'll be helpful to them. But I mean, playing in Jacksonville and then playing Tennessee, I mean, it's, it's two good games back-to-back weeks for Georgia.
0: And, and maybe that's what does it, you know, maybe the second game, they're just not as focused as the first game and, and, that i think something like that is what it takes like we said it, it just takes you know one of those teams has to not play well on top of the other team and probably their quarterback um playing about as well as he's capable of playing and that you know su- such is life in the sec right now and really such is life in college football in general because if you're going to if you're going to knock off a, a alabama or a georgia or an ohio state um that's what it's going to take, and that's why I, I, you know, feel the same way right now as I did uh, before the day started, which is the odds of, of the national championship not being won by one of those three teams in my mind is pretty close to, to zero. Um, you know, so so that's where we are. I, I hope we get a lot more games like uh, like Florida and Utah uh, as the season progresses, a lot more entertainment, um, a, a lot more fun uh, for uh, for all of us who are fans of the sport. Uh, but but it, when it's all said and done, uh, we know which teams are expected to be there, and uh, and, and nothing on that front has changed. So, uh, Tyler, thanks for uh, thanks for for joining me for this first weekend of, of rehashing SEC action, and we'll have a few more noteworthy games uh, next weekend, along with uh, one or two conference games that that we'll uh, that we'll have to talk about, and uh, maybe at some point we'll we'll get an upset. I'm pretty sure at some point that'll happen. Uh, but anyway, thanks a bunch, and uh, we will do this uh, every single week. Um, and uh, and I, I I might be talking to you again uh, in a few days for our Tuesday podcast as well.
1: Yeah, should uh, I talked to the boss lady and she said I should be good to go.
0: <laughs> All right, so we will uh, we will uh, talk to you on Tuesday, and uh, we will we'll rehash uh, maybe a little bit that we didn't talk about today from this weekend's action. We'll definitely touch on the LSU game uh, on Sunday night and uh, what we saw there. And then we'll start to uh, spin forward a little bit to, uh, to week two. So uh, thanks again, Tyler. Uh, We appreciate uh, you joining us and uh, thanks to all of you who listened. Uh, It's fourth and manageable. You can, uh, you can download it uh, right here in this very spot uh, three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night into Sunday morning uh, for the rest of the season. And uh, we will talk to you later on.